We're just going to wrap up our time together, come in full circle. So Paul started our weekend, feels like ages ago, doesn't it? Like it was only a day and a bit ago. It uh, started our time reminding us and really drawing us to see that before we step into evangelism, before we think about being evangelists and people who are called into the places uh, that we are across the city, we are God's people. And the real fuel for evangelism is beholding Christ. It's looking to him. It's remembering who he is and what he has done for us. And so as we close our weekend, I want us to be so aware, like utterly convinced that the, the story that we have been brought into, this grand story of redemption, God's story, it is a missional story. Like we've heard that so much. We heard that yesterday, didn't we? That we have been brought into a story where God is bringing his people together. He is establishing his church. And he is gathering a people to himself. He's saying there about a time where we will gather together with God's people. We pray there are billions of people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language gathering together. That is God's heart for humanity, to gather a people to himself. And our theme for the weekend has been a grown a culture of evangelism. And that's what we want. We want to really grow and deepen in our heart for people, our heart for the last, grow in our culture of reaching out. And does God care about that? Well, of course he does. Does he want us to grow in our culture of evangelism as a church? Of course he does. But I don't want us to lose sight as we head back to our city and we we try and put into practice the things that that we've heard and we take our lists and we move towards those people and we we put into practice really the things that, that Paul has been so helpfully calling us into. I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that amongst those billions of people, God willing, that we will be standing and worshiping God with, God cares for you. You individually. He loves you. He has a heart for for people and a church. He's coming back for for one church, one bride, but he loves you. And so just for a moment before we jump in to Luke chapter 15, just, just acknowledge that. God loves you individually. Think of who you are as an individual. And we sometimes push against this. Like we, we want to kind of remind ourselves that we're a people, we're a church, we're a body. And that is true. And we affirm that. But he loves you, right? You're his son. You're his daughter. Before we are missionaries, before we are ambassadors, before we are evangelists, we are sons and daughters of a father who loves us deeply and graciously, not because of of what we do or what we're about to do with our evangelistic initiatives, but because of who he is and what he's done. So I want to end our time filling our hearts with the truth, with the truth that we have a gracious father who loves us. A gracious father who loves us through our failures and through our facades. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to read from Luke chapter 15. This will be a familiar story, a familiar parable. If you know the Bible, if you know Luke's gospel, you'll be familiar with this. It's the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. I'm going to read all of verse 11 through to 32, but I'm going to start up in verse 1 and 2. So I'm going to read verse 1 and 2, then drop down to verse 11 at Luke 15. 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I'll jump down to verse 11. And he said, that's Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let me just pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you've been feeding us this weekend. We just pray as we gather together one last time before we head home. We pray that you would feed our souls. Father, we believe that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. That these are your, your son's words to us. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that as you speak, we would have ears ready to hear, hearts ready to be transformed. Just, just overwhelm us again with your grace, Jesus. Just make it so fresh to us again this morning. We pray that for our good and for your glory. Amen. So in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables. We skipped past the couple there, but there's three parables that they're all titled the the lost something. But the context of the parables is really important. So back up in verse one and two, Luke tells us who is there. And um, like we've been talking and engaging a little bit. It's been a bit of participation. So I won't do all the talking here. Just go back to verse one and two and tell tell me, shout out who's there. There's uh, a few different people who are in the crowd. There's shout them out. Tax collectors, sinners, sinners, 
Pharisees and scribes. So you have these two groups of people, right? The Pharisees and scribes were, were the names that were given to, to like the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders of the day. And then you had the sinners and the tax collectors over there. And just we'll stop there for a minute before we move on, because Luke is helping us understand something a little bit deeper about this parable of the prodigal son when we understand who's there. We have the sinners and tax collectors over here, and then we have the religious leaders over here. And now just like it's interesting the way he describes the people over here, sinners. Like imagine if we were going home and we were talking about the people that we had a weekend away with and we're going into work tomorrow and people said, oh, who are we hanging out with over the weekend? And we said, oh, just, you know, a few sinners. And yeah, we just don't talk like that, do we? It's a bit of a label, a strange label. But Luke's being deliberate here. If you were called a sinner, if you were known as a sinner, that's because you were known outwardly as someone who lived an unrighteous life. So by your behaviours, the things that you did, the things that you said, it was clear that you were unrighteous. It's clear that you were, you were standing opposed to God in some area of your life. You, you were outwardly unrighteous. But then also in the crowd, you have the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders. So if the sinners are those who are known outwardly as being unrighteous, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and teachers of the law who are in the crowd are those who were outwardly righteous, but really, as Jesus exposes so many times, they were just as sinful, but it was hidden underneath. So the the religious leaders, these ones who were outwardly righteous, they would do the right things, they would say the right things, but really their sin was just hidden away on the inside. They were people who were filled with stubborn pride and bitterness and envy and anger. Sinners and tax collectors, and then the self-righteous, stubborn, prideful, bitter, angry folk. Those who are clearly broken, and we see it on the outside, and those who are broken, but they hide it on the inside. They're all there in the crowd. And folks, they're all here this morning. Those who are struggling with the brokenness of sin outwardly, and those who are struggling with the brokenness of sin behind a facade, in hidden ways. You have those who are clearly unrighteous and those who are clearly self-righteous doing the right thing saying the right thing but still sinful underneath what i love about jesus in luke 15 is he's not like oh we've got sinners and tax collectors and right you guys clear off you're not the people i want to talk to all the people from all the different spectrums of of struggles with sin are there and jesus wants them to be there That's the crowd that he wants to talk to. They're the people that he wants to hear the message that he is about to share with them. The message that he is about to share is the one for the self-righteous and the one who is outwardly unrighteous. And he wants them to hear that we have a gracious father who is able to love us through our failures, as you see with the sinners and tax collectors outwardly, and through our facades, as you see with the self-righteous who hide away their sin. We have a gracious father who is able to love us through our failures and our facades. And so he shows him this through this story. The story of the prodigal son or the lost son is the story about two sons. And it's a story about a father. And it's a story about that father's gracious love, firstly towards 
towards the outwardly unrighteous sinner, the, the younger son. Like, it's clear. Hopefully you saw that in the, the stories we're going through. Hopefully you didn't kind of see that guy and think, oh, well, that's the kind of lifestyle that I want to follow. Like, hopefully it was clear in his behavior, in his actions, that this is someone who is, who is engaging in sin. This is someone who is outwardly unrighteous. And the story of the younger son is the story for those kind of people, those who are, who are struggling in their behavior and their, their outward actions with sin. And so in the story in verse 12, if you go back to it, the younger brother comes to his father and it seems that his father is a wealthy man. He owns lots of land. He comes to his father and he asks his father for his inheritance. Now, in, in this time when it was written, the first century, you would only get your inheritance from your father once your father had died. It's kind of similar with, with how it works today. So this little, little guy is coming up to his dad and basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead because I want, I want all the good stuff now. And so he says to his father, I want my inheritance. And the father gives it to him. And off he goes. And he spends his inheritance lavishly. And he enjoys the, the good life. Until it all runs out. And soon enough his eyes are opened. And he finds what we all find. That inevitably chasing after sin leads to misery. Literally, he ends up in a pigsty and he comes to his senses and heads back home. And he's hoping, he's kind of figuring out, okay, what's it going to look like when I get back home? I've clearly broken off things with the family. I've clearly offended my father. But maybe there's a way that I can go home and my dad will welcome me in as maybe like one of his backroom staff. I could be a servant or a slave. I could get a job back there because even those guys are better well off than I am here in this pigsty. And so he comes up with this plan and he heads back home. And then in verse 20, we get a picture of the heart of the father towards the unrighteous. Picture the father. He's there, we see in verse 20, and he's standing looking out. And you can imagine him maybe, I don't know, coming out every day, looking across the horizon, just waiting and hoping. Hoping that his son would come back, hoping that he'd see that dot on the horizon. Hoping that he'd see that familiar figure coming towards him. And you can just imagine him maybe day after day going out. And then in verse 20, on this day, he sees him. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. I wonder what the father would be feeling. I wonder if that was always like how we would feel. Knowing everything that our son has done to us, knowing that he wished us dead, knowing that he's, he's left us to, to, to look after the farm, to look after uh, all of these things that need to be done. He's left us on our own with, with the, the faithful other son. He's just gone off and squandered my wealth. He's, he's lost it all. Like we can easily imagine the father seeing that dot on the horizon get bigger and bigger. And as it gets bigger and as it gets closer, the father's heart being filled with rage and bitterness and anger and disappointment and kind of working through, what am I going to say to this boy? I'm going to teach him a lesson. He's embarrassed me. He's brought shame on the family. He's wasted all the goodness that I gave to him. And yet this is what we read in verse 20. When he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and he kissed him. 
It's not even like he waits for that dot to get bigger. The father runs out to meet the unrighteous son. He runs out to meet him. And and what does Luke say he's filled with? Compassion. We've heard that word recently, haven't we? As we looked at Jesus' heart. Remember in in Matthew chapter 9, as Jesus looks out on the crowds and he's filled with that exact same emotion. He's filled with compassion. And remember, we kind of looked a little bit at what that word means. It's that kind of gut-wrenching feeling, that real weight on our heart, a weight of love towards those who've messed it up. That is what the father feels like. He's filled with compassion and he runs. And you might know a little bit about, about the culture here. Men of wealth, men of, of nobility at this time, they would wear robes that you couldn't run it. Like it would be awkward to run it. So the only way for this man who is, who is dignified, who, who has wealth to run, is to pull up his skirt and to run. And that's what he does. So those around looked undignified, but he doesn't care. This is my son. He's come back. He's overwhelmed with compassion towards him. And so he pulls up his robe and he runs towards him. Like it would only be slaves and servants that would run. Not men like this. But he doesn't care. This is my child. And then he throws himself on his son. It says that he embraced him. Like we lose that a little bit in our language. We can easily just embrace someone, you know, give a bit of a, a no, no, no. This word here means he fell on his child. His arms fall on his son. He comes into the embrace of the father. And then what does he do? kisses him now again culturally we lose this we don't often kiss people outside of our uh, outside of our kind of marriage or, or whatever or our children this is a beautiful word i don't often do this um but this is helpful here's the greek word for what we read here kissed katephilesen katephilesen now those of you who might know a little bit of greek there's a little word tucked in the middle there phile what does that word mean Like a deep familial love. The father falls on his son, full of compassion, runs out to meet him. He's out of breath as he gets him, holds him tightly and kisses him with a deep familial love. That isn't how the son planned it. (laughs) As he's walking home, he's thinking, yeah, I just have that job. I don't need to see the father. What does the son think? And what does he say about himself? I am an unworthy sinner. I don't know how many times you've felt that. When you've messed up. When you've run back to that sin again. When you know all that God has called us to be and called us to do, even as a church or as individuals, and you mess it up royally. And you think, I'm just an unworthy sinner. I need to keep my distance from the Father. And yet the Father pursues you and runs after you. And his heart is filled with compassion for you. And he throws his arms around you. And he wants to kiss you as his child. An unworthy sinner? That's not even in his vocabulary if you are his son or daughter. This isn't how the son planned it, but this is how it rolls out. What's interesting in Jewish culture, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 21, it gives a script for how this should roll out. 
So actually, we see the son kind of thinking, okay, I could just be a servant. I could be a slave. But actually, he's trying to wriggle out of something here. In Deuteronomy 21, 21, it's really clear. If you have a son who is either rebellious or stubborn, you are well within your right to bring that child into the middle of the community and he is stoned to death. Now, we're like, whoa, that's a bit heavy. <laughs> that's a bit full on. But the, but the story here and, and the message here is you respect your father. You respect your mother. You don't bring shame on the family. You honor them. You love them. You serve them. You be faithful to them. And if you break that bond, then the penalty for you is death. That's what it says. Clear as day. Deuteronomy 21, 21. So what is coming to this son isn't that he's just going to be a backroom slave. No, what should be coming to him is the punishment of death. Yet this father gives his son what he doesn't deserve. He gives him grace. That's what grace is. Receiving what we don't deserve. This boy deserves death. But instead the father cuts him off in the middle of his speech. He's been rehearsing it. Oh, father, I'm unworthy. I'm, uh, let me just be one of your slaves. The father cuts him off and says, guys, bring, bring my son the best robe. Who, whose robe would that have been in the household? Who had the best robe? The father. Bring him my robe. Clothe him in my clothes. Put a ring on his finger, verse 22. If you wore a ring, that was a sign of inheritance. That was a sign that that once your father passed on, you were going to receive all of his goodness. You had a great inheritance waiting for you. And so as a child, you would be given a ring to show that, that you've got good things coming for you. And the father says, put a ring on his finger. Like what's happened has happened. This boy's got good things coming to him. He's got a beautiful future heading towards him put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet now we might kind of pass that quickly and think oh well he's just kind of dressing them up putting some shoes on his feet but there's more to it than that in this kind of family servants and slaves wouldn't wear sandals only the people who were part of the the immediate family would wear would wear shoes would wear sandals so the father's saying i want i want everyone to know this is my boy this is my son. He's part of the family. Put sandals on his feet. And in verse 23, bring the fattened calf. Not any old kind of skinny old cow. No, bring the best one. The one that we've been feeding. The one who knows what's coming to him, right? Like we've been feeding him up, waiting for the big banquet, waiting for the wedding feast. Bring that calf. Because in verse 24, my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. The message of the younger son is this. If you've been chasing after sin, it's clear by your actions, your behaviours externally, that you've been embracing sin. The message of the younger son is this. Come to the father. Put away your sin and receive his gracious, spectacular love that he has for you. What about the older son? Well, we've got... The gracious father who loves the the outwardly unrighteous sinner, but we have a gracious father who loves the self-righteous sinner as well. The older son, he's been out in the field working hard. He's been busy. And then as he comes at the end of the day, comes closer to the house, he he hears music. He hears celebrating. And so he asks one of the servants, what's going on? The servant says, well, well, your, your brother, he's come back. Your father, he's, he's killed a fattened calf and, and they're celebrating. 
The father lays on a banquet. The right thing for the older son to do is to be like, that's great. I'm going to go and get scrubbed up myself. And, and he should go into the house and get his robe on and get all cleaned up and come and join the party. But in verse 28, he refuses. He's so filled with anger and bitterness and self-righteous pride that he refuses. But then look at the heart of the father towards him. The father comes out to him and the father pleads with him. But full of rage, self-righteous child lashes back at the father. Look, you listen to me, dad. I've worked hard. I have been faithful. I've always done the right thing. You've never given me even a go to celebrate with my friends. And yet your son, who's lived like he's lived, comes back and you kill the fattened calf? Come on, dad. He's stubbornly self-righteous. Remember our law back in Deuteronomy 21, 21. If you have a son who is rebellious, then you're well within your right to bring him into the midst of the community and to stone him to death. If you have a son who is stubborn, you are also well within your right to bring him into the midst of the community and stone him to death. The law said the penalty for the self-righteous son is death. Yet this father doesn't give his son what he deserves. He's full of grace towards him. Father comes out to meet him. He lovingly pleads with him. He reminds him of his grace towards him. Son, everything I have is yours. The message of the older son is this. And I wonder if this is most of us. If you've been hiding sin behind a facade of good works. You know, I come to church, I tithe, I... I'm involved in ministry. I'm going to go home with my list and I'm going, to, I'm going to speak to these people. If you're hiding sin behind a facade of good works, if you're festering pride, anger, bitterness, resentment, the message of the older son is this. Come to the Father. Put your sin away. And receive his gracious love. Just like with the younger son, he wants to wrap his arms around you. And to embrace you and kiss you. See, we often read this parable as a parable for those who aren't saved. For those who are lost. But we need to hear the message of this story every day of our lives. Because folks, we don't graduate from grace. It is by grace that we're saved, but it is also by grace that we are sustained. We need it every day because we continue to struggle with sin in our behavior and even beneath the skin in self-righteous ways. I'm sure some of us have been trying to shake off certain behaviors and addictions and, and ways of thinking. And if that's you, then maybe it's time for you to come to the Father and receive his loving, gracious embrace. I know some of us have become tired of hiding behind a facade of good works when inside we're being eaten up with bitterness and pride and resentment and anger. And if that's you, then maybe it's time to run into the Father's arms and receive his gracious, loving embrace. Because before we are evangelists, we are sons, we are daughters father who 
loves us in a way that is full of scandalous looking grace. So what does it look like to receive his embrace? Well, one of those powerful ways that we can know and feel the love of the Father is in this meal. The reformers back in the day said that this is the visible sin. So I can stand here and talk to you and speak and tell you this is the truth of God's word. But there is something about holding the bread and holding the juice, the wine in our hands that really brings the gospel to life in a way that just reading doesn't. This is the visible sermon. This is flesh and bones. Reminds us like literally of flesh and bones. This puts flesh and bones on the words of the gospel. And so we're going to take this meal together. We're going to hand out the bread and wine. I'm not going to come to the front. I'm going to pass around this flimsy looking um, plate here. So just very carefully, um, just pass on the, the juice as it comes to you. Pass the juice around first. And then we'll pass the bread around first. Kind of been working out which way Ryan is going to create less spillage. Probably that way around. Um, take the cup, take the bread and just hold on to it. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to just share some scriptures with us. And I'm going to remind us of how the love and grace of the Father comes to us. How we can be absolutely sure that the picture that we've just seen of the father embracing his children with that, that tight, loving, compassion-filled embrace, how we can be sure that that is true for us. Like if you're battling with sin in either one of those ways now, how you can be sure that in this moment as you take this meal, the father just wants to hold you and he wants you to know his love. And so I'm just going to read through some scriptures as you hold on to the bread, as you hold on to the wine. Now, folks, this is a family meal. This is for God's children, his sons and his daughters. This is for people who, who struggle with sin, but don't delight in sin. Okay? So if you are someone who is still embracing sin and delighting in it, if you don't confess Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, and this is, this is God who you want to follow in, in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, then just let the wine, uh, the juice, let the bread pass. Watch, listen, maybe take the time to pray. This is for God's children, those who hate sin, those who love Jesus, and those who want to follow him into obedience. So we'll pass uh, the juice. Ryan will just pass it down away, and then we'll pass the bread. Hold on to it. You might just want to close your eyes as you hear these scriptures or just listen. But as you listen, this is truth. Truth for you if you are a son or a daughter of our gracious and loving Heavenly Father. Let me just break the bread, give thanks for uh, the wine, the juice, and then we'll pass it out, and then I'll read. Father, we thank you for this meal. We thank you for this bread. We thank you for all that it causes us to remember. We thank you that this is a tangible reminder of how much you love us, how gracious you are towards us. We thank you for your son. We thank you for his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. We thank you, Jesus, that you are at the right hand of the Father now alive, having dealt with our sin, having suffered the cruelty of the cross, having absorbed all of the judgment and wrath that was due for us as you died for us and rose again. Thank you that we have the hope of eternal life because of your resurrection, the first fruits of our resurrection. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. So thank you, Jesus, for your broken body 
your shed blood. We love you. Help us now as we just remember and turn our attention even more towards you now. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Okay. Just keep on passing that round as we pass it. Just listen to these truths. Romans chapter 3, verse 11 says this. No one is righteous. Not even one. Folks, we have no hope of making ourselves right with God outside of a relationship with him. Our unrighteous external behaviours, our internal self-righteousness, they stand as offences against God. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says this. The wages of our sin is death. Just like the two sons, because of our rebellion, because of our stubbornness against the holy God, we deserve death. The promise of God to his children is this. This is Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. As we hold on to the bread, feel it in your hand. And the juice. Remember that we have a Father who is gracious towards us. Who is loving A father who for our sake made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As you hold the bread, just feel its fragility, the pieces breaking off in your hands. Think of how you tore a piece off the loaf as it came past. Remember Jesus' death for you. Isaiah 53 talking of Jesus says he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and by his wounds we are healed as you hold on to the cup just take a look at it it's full of scarlet liquid And as you taste it in a minute, remember that when Jesus shared this meal, he said, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And the promise of God to his children is this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can we stand together? We're going to take this meal together. We're going to eat the bread. We're going to drink the cup. We're going to close our time in celebration. This is our meal of celebration. Think of the son as he comes in and he's dressed up in the robe of his father with a ring on his finger, all cleaned up with the sandals on his feet, knowing that he is part of the family. 
knowing that he's been brought in, knowing the grace that has been extended towards him, enjoying the fattened calf. This is our meal of celebration. This is our confirmation that we are children of a loving and gracious father. And these two symbols remind us of how that is true for us. For the broken body and the shed blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, our father welcomes us in. And he is ready to give us grace for every sin. We have a father who loves us through our failures and through our facades. Let's take this meal together with thankful hearts, with hearts that are ready to celebrate the grace that has come towards us from the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Spirit.